Welcome to Femboldened, a podcast where inspiration meets aligned action, where science meets spirit, and where you've landed to enliven the bold within you. I'm your host, Angelica Pascone, women's empowerment coach, specializing in helping heart-centered, high achievers like you shatter their personal and professional self-built glass ceilings. Get ready to awaken to your truest potential as we dive deep into the emboldened stories, wisdom, and medicine of our fellow sisters to energize you into living your bold. The question is, are you ready? Let's get started. Emboldened. Welcome, Femboldeners. I am so excited for this episode. I have a special guest here, Aisha Allen. She has been a dear soul sister of mine for almost six months now, which seems crazy. And I'm really excited not only to have this conversation recorded, but also to get to know Aisha on a very deep level. Aisha has multiple different passions in life and she does not sit still and is both feet in for all of them. So if you're somebody who says to yourself, I have so many interests, I can't just pick just one. You don't have to. And Aisha is your example. Aisha, how are you? Welcome to the show. Tell me what's alive for you today. Uh, hi. Well, first of all, thank you. Thank you. Perfect intro. That's me to a T. <laughs> Um, what is alive for me right now? Um, authenticity, 1000%, um, but not the typical way that people talk about authentics. It's, um, and I don't even know if that's a word, but for me, it's getting closer to shedding and shedding the version of what people look at me to be, which is very outspoken, very loud, very, um, the person that speaks up for everyone. Mm -hmm. I'm kind of like shedding that image uh, because it can be a lot. It has been a lot. So that's, what's really alive for me right now. And, um, just letting my businesses do their thing so that I can really actually do what I want to do, um, which is build businesses that I can have more time in life. That's, those are the things that are alive. <laughs> yeah. And she did say businesses. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> an accident. Oh my goodness. So, so what's this process looking like for you as far? I think we can all resonate with the process of shedding and realizing that parts of, I guess, personality aspects of our personalities that we believe are, were us aren't actually a hundred percent us. Mm -hmm. What's that process been looking like for you? Yeah, well, um, I was on TikTok and before anyone like rolled their eyes, uh, my TikTok algorithm is like A1. I get business and like just psychology. It's it's perfect uh, before <laughs> anyone rolls their eyes. Um, but I was looking at a video and it had Jim Carrey on it. And he was talking on a podcast and he said something, he was talking about depression. And uh, over this time that I've been here, I was like, am, am I depressed? Like I didn't want to do the things that I didn't like do that I had always loved doing. And mm. I didn't want to cook and I didn't want to go to the gym and all these things I didn't want to do. And I just kind of felt low energy, but I just, when I look and I pulled out books, you know, like my old nursing textbooks and all that, I'm like, this doesn't, this textbook definition of depression doesn't fit me. And, um, I was on TikTok and heard Jim Carrey say, you know, when you are shedding yourself and you are letting go of that 
pretty much that mask. And I think he used that word intentionally um, of what you have been. He said, it's not depression, how you think it is. He says it's depressed as in deep rest, like D-E-E-P-R-E-S-T. I just got chills. Yeah. Yeah. It like, whoa. And he's like, you need to be in deep rest to actually like up level and move and shed what everyone and what you have conditioned yourself to be. And um, that was like the most real thing I have ever felt. And I was like, that is what is going on right now. I'm in deep rest because I'm, I don't want to do all of these extra things. I need to like really sit down for a moment (laughs) and um, pay attention. And so um, I've just been doing that right now. And uh, it's been good. I've noticed a huge change. Wow. That's amazing. Thank you for sharing that. It's it's interesting because I have um, a client of mine who's also a CRNA. Yes. You've heard that right. Businesses, CRNA. Um, said the same thing. She said, you know, I feel like I'm depressed, but I'm not, I'm not meeting the the diagnosis for depression. And same exact phrases that I was like, okay, this makes sense. And I think both of you have a unique perspective, not as, not just as individuals, but as CRNAs too, yeah. during a worldwide pandemic. Yeah. Is is it okay to talk about COVID? Oh, totally. How are you feeling about totally. And I feel like you and I are, are very much on the same page and we're some similar in some ways in that we we kind of have one foot in the spiritual world and one foot in the medical world and they're always yeah. at each other's throats. Yeah. And it's it's yeah. like you guys can coexist and actually how much better would the world be if you like interwove mm-hmm. anyways. Mm-hmm. Um, so no, totally. I, I don't know. I feel like maybe part of my, my purpose here is to bridge the two together, getting off topic a little bit. I'd love to know, I guess what you've, I should also preface this by saying you're currently in Japan. Mm-hmm. Yep. Mm-hmm. I know. And we're just getting started about Aisha too. <laughs> This no, layer, Let's do after it. layer after layer. After I layer. love it. This is what I'm here for. Uh, I know. <laughs> I, I'd love to know, I guess, what you've seen, where you see things going. And because I'm, I, while I have that medical background, I'm not in it right now. Right. Right. So are you, are you still hearing me? I can still okay. hear you. Yeah. Okay. Awesome. Sorry. It's a little <laughs> glitchy. <laughs> um, sometimes. So, uh, although I am here in Japan, I'm still very well connected to the community of nurses and healthcare providers in the States. Um, I've actually flown back, uh, a few times since, um, being here and what I'm seeing, especially right now is very similar to what was happening when the pandemic was on the rise upward in March Mm. and nurses, floor nurses have always been kind of um, the necessary and most, one of the most vital as far as like work hospital infrastructure. Um, If nurses don't go in, hospitals don't run, you don't have anyone to care for anybody. Mm -hmm. Um, And I, I don't think a lot of people understand, maybe they understand now, but I think before the start of the pandemic, people didn't understand that nurses, you know, do the care, they administer the medication, they do the baths, they do all of that actual 
feet on the ground care mm-hmm. and nurses got rocked the first part of the pandemic. Mm-hmm. Um, we were already, we're already burnt out as nurses, wherever you are, because in me as a CRNA, um, the seat, the RN in the middle of that still registered nurse. Um, I still have an active registered nurse license. So during this pandemic, no matter if you're a CRNA or you were an RN, they were sticking you wherever they could because you were licensed. So you had CRNAs that went, that graduated and went to grad school, had doctorates, but because they could and you had the RN, they, they stuck you in an ICU. And I won't say stuck. I actually, I say stuff because they, they didn't ask you. It was like, here, you're a body, here you go. And that happened everywhere. And so that was nursing in 2020 when nurses had always felt like this, but then you get slapped with a pandemic and you're like, what? We don't feel respected right now. No one's wearing masks. You're arguing over masks. Do you Mm -hmm. not remember the Spanish flu? No, you don't. Cause most (laughs) people don't know the history. Mm -hmm. Um, And so they're, nurses everywhere were like, wow, we aren't really valued. And you want to throw a pizza party at us and call us heroes. Yeah, that doesn't really work anymore. Mm -hmm. And so here we come around to another wave of this. And we understand people in the healthcare uh, understand like, yeah, if you get the vaccine, you could still very well get it again, just like the flu, or you can still get it again. Um, But what this actually does is help you not die. Um, I saw this, uh, thing they were comparing it to birth control. Like you could take birth control Mm. and you can still end up pregnant. Same type of deal. Yeah. And so seeing this around come back, um, with a vengeance and we're all like, we told you a lot of people told you, Mm. I know a lot of people don't also trust the government. And I'm not going to say too much about that because I will say, I get it. I get, I get a lot of it. I get every side of it. I get the want to have choice and mm-hmm. I believe in choice. I just think a lot of choices need to be made with a little, with a little bit more science in this modern age. Yeah. Um, obviously doing what is best for you. Um, but just to see the death, how mm-hmm. it, it came about and people not being able to be with family um, with leaving this realm, uh, that is hard. And collectively healthcare providers, especially nurses, are getting to the point where they are affected deeply. Um, And I remember I still very, very connected to the experience of one of my patients dying um, when I was in the cardiac surgery ICU. I cannot imagine what it is like to have these patients die in droves. And so collectively nurses right now, I would probably bet bet a lot of money to say, well, what's money? Who cares? A lot of nurses are, are depressed and not feeling their best going into the second round, Mm -hmm. which I say all that to say um, right now, um, a big part of my work is helping nurses make a shift to working beyond the bedside, be it in business, be it in multiple passions of theirs and taking ownership of what it's like to no longer just take orders like you do in the hospital, but to Step into your power and buy, and I hate saying buy back your time, so I can say that again, but to reclaim your time and spend more time how you'd like it instead of saying, oh, I need to, I want to pay for this. I'm going to pick up more shifts or Mm -hmm. um, just reframing that entire mindset. That's the whole entire, for me, implication of not entire, but a big implication of COVID and and how it impacted nurses and the health of the country and Mm -hmm. 
yeah, obviously it has multiple impacts, but for me, that's where I'm stepping in um, most. I love that. You're absolutely right. I had the opportunity to talk to a nurse, an ICU nurse this weekend, a family member of Christopher's. And it was the first time we've seen each other because, you know, we lost a year. Yeah. And I said, how are you? And she said, oh yeah, I'm great. I said, no. Yeah. Like how, how are you? And she said, well, you know, I said, okay, listen, how are you? <laughs> I kept asking yeah. her. I said, I, I'm asking <laughs> because I actually want to know, and I want to hold you and I'm offering yeah. this to you. And um, that's when she said, you know, if I sit still, the feelings just hurt too much. I mean, she's also going into nurse practitioner school right now. So she's mm. been able to keep busy. And she says, but when I have nothing to do, that's when it's the worst. And she, mm. then I realize all the death that I've seen. And she had mentioned to me, she said, you know, the first wave, there were some people who got better. So there was some speckle of hope. But she said when that second wave came, then she started, her eyes welled up. I, w- I kept praying for the miracle to happen. And mm. during that second wave, only two left the ICU. Only mm. two. She had mentioned that they were you know, middle-aged men, her father's age, and it, it just tore her apart. And they had to stay prone for what seemed like forever. And because of that, they had bed sores on their face, it, like just yeah. Yeah. horrid. And I'm, I'm purposely painting this picture for everyone because this is the norm right now. This yeah. isn't just in the yeah. depths of New York city when the first wave hit, it's no. all over. It's everywhere. It's like, it's the same way I feel how people are disconnected with their food. They're disconnected with what the heck is going on and what people see. And then be being here in Japan, it's also such a cultural shift here. You know, everyone wears a mask all the time. Mm-hmm. Not a lot of people here in Japan are vaccinated just because of how the, the system happened. Mm-hmm. But everyone wears a mask because they're protecting one another, the community. And I look at the United States, I'm like, where the heck did that shift? You know, where in the world did it become uh, freedom? Of, you know, like how you care about having freedom over your body? What happened to abortions? <laughs> you know, I could go yes. on about that. Yeah, I know. I'm with you. Uh, I'm with you. 100%. <laughs> I'm with you. Yeah. 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 Okay. So it's just been a, it, it has illuminated a lot. I really love how you've stepped in in your own way to empower the nursing community to realize that there's more than just, I think you had, I read one of your posts recently, more than just working 40 hours a week until they hit retirement. Right. And you're absolutely right. I I didn't even think of this, you know, I want to treat myself to a Cadillac. So I'm going to do a few extra shifts for the next year. Yeah. Yeah. And I never even thought of that. Parents, I would hear it all the time. Parents like, I'm going to pick up another shift so that I can get my daughter this new bicycle. And that is like the norm. And again, there's so many people doing it, Mm -hmm. but that's part of like what you were kind of talking about. That's the matrix. That's the matrix, the nursing matrix. (laughs) Go into a hospital, badge in, these are the hours, this is what you get paid. You may get paid a differential, but they have slapped a a worth on you and you're just constantly clocking in and caring for people. There's that different part of that is like, you are expending not only just physical time, but your mental capacity to care is being yeah. spent day in, day out. It's brutal. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Honestly, we we're kind of tiptoeing around this, but mm-hmm. I'd love to know your story. 
and how Aisha brought all of these. Honestly, you you have like a buffet of <laughs> of ways to empower yourself <laughs> and yeah. ways people can plug into you. But anyways, I'm jumping ahead. I'd love to know mm-hmm. who you are, who you were, and what bold decisions or choices it took to mm-hmm. bridge that gap between the Aisha I see right now and the Aisha six, 10 years ago. And I'm going to write the word bold on here just so I can see it for myself. I love that. Um, that's that's neat, uh, that you have funny. It's of course, it's like you um, use the word and molding. I love that because <laughs> I made a lot of bold decisions in life that have gotten here. And m- m- most of my bold decisions have been to completely reject everything that people are telling me and to mm-hmm. do what the heck is in my mind and my intuition. I was born in Virginia. Fairfax to be uh, specific, mm-hmm. and raised in Stafford, Virginia by two wonderful parents uh, of the Caribbean. I'm a first-generation American. Mm-hmm. Anyone who knows anything about Caribbean parents and a lot of uh, minorities, African parents, education is the only thing that you have. But when you step outside the hospital, you must be, or excuse me, when you step outside your house, you have to be presentable because you don't know who is looking at you. You have to behave in a way that does not bring shame on your family. And there's a slew of other things that come with being a first gen. And I'm specifically saying first generation uh, American child, because you are still bridging a very, very deep cultural background with the American, in my case, the American version of life. And although your parents know that they brought you here, they are very much culturally at home. <laughs> mm-hmm. So I was the only girl, three brothers, excelled growing up in school forever. But how my mom raises, if we didn't get an A, it was like, what happened? Why didn't you get an A? You shouldn't, there's no reason that you don't get A's. And so I remember going to college, I'm kind of skipping ahead. I remember I got my first B and I called my mom. I'm like, mom, I'm sorry, I got a B. Mm-hmm. First, like first semester of college, she, and she goes, Oh no, that's fine. I was like, what? <laughs> what? She's like, yeah, you're in college now. Um, you're playing the sport because I was playing college soccer at the time, playing mm-hmm. sport, and you're doing all these things. That's okay. Just you know, get a better grade next time. And I was like, what the heck? <laughs> yeah, and I'm just gonna I'm gonna bear it all out. You know, something also you don't talk about that much, but. Um, there was a lot of the discipline came in the form of spanking and beating mm-hmm. sometimes. Mm-hmm. And this is something that, you know, like I said, people don't talk about, but I uh, want to talk about it because I was just having conversations with my partner who's amazing. And uh, I was talking about different experiences of like what happened one day when I didn't clean my room. One day my mom read my diary and there was something in it that there's mm-hmm. no boundaries mm-hmm. at all. No boundaries. I got in trouble for what was in my, you know, diary and I got spanked and I'm like replaying those experiences and it definitely happened with my brothers. And I'm like, well, that's like violent, you know, like mm-hmm. very violent what I was uh, brought up in. You could definitely tell now with my older brothers and how that played out with their relationship with my mom and my dad. Mm-hmm. But I'm painting that picture because I had very loving parents. My mom was very loving. And that's the part that I really know and embody. I wouldn't be here without them. I wouldn't be here without my mom. She was my example. 
you want to talk about multi-passionate, she is my example for doing whatever you want, whenever, and get done. Because she got it done with four kids. I look at her, I'm like, how the hell did you do what she did? She supported my family because my dad was laid off. But she supported all of us. We never wanted for anything, went on vacations. We had that typical middle class, like yeah. vacation every summer, all of that. Um, she went to school, got a master's. She's getting her doctorate right now wow. because... I can't be the only doctorate in the family. So she's getting her <laughs> an education. She is running for, she's on the school board right now mm-hmm. in Stafford County and now is running again because she wants to make a change in the way that minorities are treated in public schools mm-hmm. and reduce the amount of suspensions that, you know, because black kids have more suspensions and she's working in that realm of things. And that's what I was raised around. You advocate how you can, and you are privileged enough how we are um, upper middle-class. You do what you can to help everyone else. And you reach back and you grab people and you stand up for what is right. My mom stood up for what is right. Mm-hmm. You know, back 20 years ago, people would look at her crazy for breastfeeding, how she would, she would just whip out her breast. And that's 20 years ago. This is before mm-hmm. all of this. And women and men would come up to her and, you know, this is a public establishment. You shouldn't do this. And my mom would be like, my kid is eating and you just interrupted us eating. And that was very rude. You need to go back to your table. Like that's, Oh my goodness. I need more of your mother mom. in my life. Yes. Oh, <laughs> it has channeled a lot in me. And then there's mm-hmm. been a lot of things, a lot of unlearning. And I'm painting this entire story because that's how I have ended up where I am being very outspoken. and standing up for myself and because there's been a lot of experiences in healthcare where people have not wanted me to do well and have really done treacherous things. And because I had that example to speak up, I am now way more empowered Mm -hmm. to go against big universities and go against what people say around me. And I'm kind of condensing a lot because I could go on. I am now here where I am doing the things that I want to do because I have seen empowerment and have experienced what happens when you do things when you are fearful. And that kind of charges up that empowerment battery within yourself. And so now, you know, I did that against my own mom a few times. That has been a real shift. Biggest one being having a girlfriend in high school. Mm. I was like, no, 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 no in my community. And I remember it was kind of a secret. And I had friends that no longer were my friends because I had a girlfriend and childhood friends, like preschool, middle school friends who, you know, oh, my parents say I can't be your friend. And um, I still was with this person, this woman for five years up until college where we broke it off. Those five years, I was like, F what everyone else says. You too, mom. Like, (laughs) You're not going to dictate, punish me all you want. I was punished for all of it. And there was a Christmas where I had to basically say, well, if we can't sleep in the same bedroom, we're, I'm leaving. Mm-hmm. And I left. Mm-hmm. And that was the day where my mom was like, oh, shoot, we got a mini me on my hands. And, <laughs> you know, I, I feel like I have helped my mom realize the highs and lows, and I don't like saying good and bad, of parenting styles. And I have been bold enough to share that with her. So mom is a huge catalyst for where I am today. Again, very appreciative. And where that has landed me today is empowerment, helping nurses, because I think you can make the biggest impact where you are and what you're doing every single day. 
Mm-hmm. And so that's with nurses. And that is with helping to reduce healthcare disparities by encouraging and increasing the number of Black healthcare providers, specifically nurses and nurse anesthetists. Mm-hmm. Because when you match your healthcare providers to the population, you have better outcomes. That's scientific fact. Mm-hmm. And so the way that I can help is by showing people what I do, showing people my journey. Because what is painted, what was painted was, oh, this is the most terrible thing you'll ever do. No one can do it. It's awful. Don't even try. I had nursing educators tell me, mm, you know, the ICU is going to eat you alive. And me being me, like, I don't know. Who are you? Just because I tried and I couldn't do it. Mm. And I was, you know, I had my wits about me to be like, oh, that's just you. So I did all of these things and I shared the entire process on social media, through YouTube, through podcasts. And I, that is how I grew my following, never really intending it to be anything, but to show people that this is possible. And along the way, I became more educated about healthcare disparities and minorities and implicit bias and its impact not only in the hospital, but everywhere. And everything kind of stems from that. Because now it's how do I empower people to build wealth? Because we are not taught, everyone, no one's taught to build wealth. No. And not for the simple fact that so you can have a lot of money, so that you can enjoy your life mm-hmm. how you want to and not going in, clocking in, doing all that. So it's transitioning to that. How do you start a business? Why do you start a business? What are your passions? Oh, you don't know what your passions are because you've been people pleasing your whole life. Bing, I know that to be true. And so I'm just he said, I'm letting people plug into me in so many different ways. Now, what do I really want to give off? What electricity do I want to put out to these plugs that are now like really plugged in? So yeah, how's that for an answer? <laughs> Beautiful. I am, I'm just like jumping on the edge of my seat. Cause I'm like, this is awesome. This is great. I love not only your story, but how eloquently you, you shared it you know, and stating like just there, it's all facts, right? There's no sort of emotional weight that you're putting on all that because you've processed it yourself. And I love the way in which you held the duality of my parents, my mother made me who I am, but there were also an equivalent amount of unlearning to be done too. And I think that's such a perfect description of what I share with my clients is I believe this is my own belief that before we come into this world, we choose our parents so that we are set up. Awesome. So we are set up to (laughs) have the lessons we want to learn in this lifetime. And, and yeah, I think that was just such a beautiful story and, and something I think a lot of listeners will resonate with, not maybe completely, but on different levels and different aspects. So thank you for, for your vulnerable share and transparency. And oh my goodness. I yeah, it's the first you. time really sharing all of that like that. So <gasps> I'm <yeah>. honored. <laughs> Ooh, oh my goodness. I'm honored. Yeah. yeah. And, and you know, it's, I'm just starting to realize how, you know, for me, my wealth consciousness is like kaput. And it's so interesting having my parents, my parents just came this weekend, watching where my scarcity comes from. My dad was talking about this movie, Little Nicky, because I'm I'm really into this show Lucifer on Netflix right now. And he's it's a good show, actually. It, it is great. I love it. Um, and he's like, well, you know, Adam Sandler did Little Nicky. I said, ah, I was probably like seven when that came out and you didn't let me watch it. And he's like, well, let's see if we can find it. So then we do Netflix, not there. We do Hulu, not there. Amazon Prime, $3.99 rent. And my parents are like, oh, no, no, no. We'll find something else. <laughs> 
I said, well, sometimes Chris and I treat ourselves and they said, nope, nope. We'll wait till it goes free. And then again, when my parents left, my dad said, you know, there's a book I saw at Barnes and Noble. It's in the, one of the front bookshelves. And my mom said, nope, nope. I'm going to wait until it goes on sale. Like that's, you know, and I'm like, oh my goodness. Cause what things like that, what did that say to me when I was younger was you're not worthy of getting that. That's maybe too hard. No, I know what you're saying, but you're, know you know, you're it's too expensive. You're, you. you're worth and, and the amount doesn't equate. Right. That's so funny because that was contrasted with my mom and I had to unlearn this. My mom was, I'm a black woman. I'm successful. I'm going to treat myself every trip. Mm. There was a new outfit in nails every, I feel like it, I'm going to go get this. And so for mm-hmm. me, that was how I treated myself for doing well on this. I work at Nordstrom. I make a little bit more money. I'm going to go buy this bag. Bags I still have right now to this day. I learned all of that though. Um, <laughs> I'm not chopping out the you know the wazoo anymore. But yeah. that you learn so much yeah. just from like what you see, right? And it's so programmed, right? So mm-hmm. that's something that I'm currently working through. Is even when I save, like there's still not enough. Like I will never have. That's my subconscious. There's just not enough. Yes. Even even when I like am wearing the same clothes for the past five years, yes. my car breaks down <laughs> and I don't use my car. Like, how did that happen? <laughs> so, yes. Anyways. I get it. I get it. That's good. Uh, yeah. I, I actually, I'm curious if you had to do this while I was processing mm-hmm. and realizing, wow, I, I learned this and there was some anger and frustration with my parents. I actually had to like separate myself a little bit Mm -hmm. while Mm -hmm. I was processing. And now that I see them with curiosity and I had a really awesome conversation with my mom a couple of weeks ago. And I'm like, what, what were your thoughts about how your mom treated you when this happened? And she's like, well, this, that, and the other thing. I'm like, okay, I'm seeing a little bit of myself in here, you know, just pulling pulling these stories. Cause I'm like, I want to know where my behaviors come from. Yeah. So for me, I think I have put the physical distance and I left this story, but I have put the physical distance by joining the military. And mm-hmm. I chose to, even before that, I chose to go to graduate school in North Carolina and move out of Virginia. And then I was like, you know, I'm going to go to Las Vegas. Oh, there's an opportunity for you to go to Japan. I was like, I'm going out of my comfort. I need to get the hell out of my comfort now. Just felt it. And we're going to talk about this probably. It's been lonely felt like I lost at first. It was like, I felt like I lost connection. I lost friends in this time that has being out here physically separated has allowed me to process in a way that I feel like was healthy in me being middle child in a way that didn't make other people feel upset with my decisions to choose me. And whereas my, you know, my older brother, and like I said, our, our relationships kind of are symptomatic of parenting as with everyone and mm-hmm. a symptom for my older brother being first born was he really got, he got the hammer as mm-hmm. far as like, this is what you're going to do. He's the one that everything was worked out, of, like worked on. Like, is this mm-hmm. going to work? Is that going to work? So there's a lot of, there was a lot of tension there and a huge separation for him where my mom felt it mm-hmm. um, really felt, felt her first born separating. And so I watched that and I'm like, Ooh, mm-hmm. that looks painful for my mom. How about I still need to do this? Yeah. Uh, there needs to be some separation. So yeah, I think I definitely did some separation. Mm. What's your relationship with your mother like now? Oh, beautiful. I hesitate to say, I, I will never say perfect. But based off of my upbringing, 
and what my mom taught me about, you know, I'm not your parent, I'm not your friend, I'm your parent. Mm-hmm. We have, and I appreciate that. There's a lot of things like I said that I would that I learned, but there's a lot of things that I will keep and hold dear mm-hmm. that she did. She did a lot of things right. A lot of things right. She would always say, she's like, I'm not your I'm not one of your little friends. I'm your parent. You're not gonna like what I say to you all the time. You're not gonna like the decisions I make. And so now being 30 and watching my mom, talking to my mom about dating, because my parents are divorced now, mm-hmm. talking to my mom about dating and talking to her about, I mean, I'm setting boundaries now about talking about my, you know, my father and my brother's like, eh, I'm not therapist. Yeah. Love you. Um, you're probably not gonna like my take on some of this. So <laughs> maybe, maybe therapy and that's a whole other thing in the black community. So mm. haven't reached that far, but our relationship is good. Like I said, that decision in, uh, over Christmas where I pretty much said you could lose me. I will not in Christmas. It's huge in my family for me to walk and leave on Christmas Eve and not spend Christmas. It was like, Oh, I don't get to, do what I have been doing, which was ruling by, you know, ruling by I'm mom. No, 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 no. So that was like a huge catalyst for change. And every day, a little bit like a lot, I'm telling my mom the things that I, I'm still pretty ginger with it and sometimes tiptoe, but she's, she's understanding. And I think she's done a lot of deep reflection too. My mom's very introspective, taught me a lot about following intuition. Mm-hmm. Um, and I say, I'm thankful for my mom. Like she, she would always tell me, you know, follow your gut, follow your heart. Don't give away pieces of your heart. And I wish sometimes she would have been a little bit more clear instead of speaking in, you know, metaphors, but I, I understand it, how I was raised. And she would always tell me that she thinks I was psychic. She really empowered me to be the spiritual being that I, that I was, and that I am. So I am so forever grateful for that, that I wasn't squashed in that way. <laughs> yes. But yeah, our relationship is good. Mm, amazing. I love this. This is such a great conversation. I know. I'm so glad we did this. <laughs> and we went and we're like, well, we wanted to cover some topics, but we'll see what happens. And yeah, this wasn't right. on, this wasn't on the agenda. <laughs> Here it goes. I love it. Mom. Mom. Happen. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so you are in, you know, so many different, places while you were talking a, a few moments ago i just saw your businesses your your extensions in the world literally arms of yourself you know this is who i am this is what i'm interested in now and here's how i can utilize my gifts and utilize my passions to bring others in and i think actually that's those are the words you use pull pull others in oh, yeah. um, which which i love it's something i want to speak to and something we haven't talked about on this podcast yet mm-hmm. and something that you very strongly advocate for advocate for is that the right word i think i think so yeah you um, use your platform yeah. to educate yeah. others regarding racism and this mm-hmm. is you know such i shouldn't say such a hot topic because that feels horrible <laughs> like, no but i happening i love that yes i love that that's the word that came out because that mm-hmm. is the sense no I'm the person that is like so real about it. These conversations need to be had. And I love that you are comfortable enough to like say like, hey, let me be uncomfortable. Yeah. Let's talk about this, this hot topic and this uncomfortable thing. That's a beautiful place to be. 
Mm-hmm. Thank you. Yeah. I, I don't know. I'm, I was raised white middle-class girl. You know, there's I, women have their own disparities, but I do not know what it's like to be black. I do not mm-hmm. have to wake up and think about, I, I almost see it as, and you please correct me if I'm wrong. Yeah. I almost see it as like all these algorithms that, mu- that take place as yes. soon as you wake up. Yes. When that, that's the freaking best way to put it. I might, I'm going to, I'll credit you, but yeah, absolutely. Okay. That's fine. Absolutely. A bunch of algorithms in daily life though. Not yeah. like, yeah, but once you wake up, yeah. Could, would you be willing to take us through like your, your thought processes in the morning and like yeah. worries and anxieties or joys too? What yeah. is it like to be a black woman? Yeah. And that's, that's a touch deep question. I freaking love it almost because that has shifted and the likes and the joys and the the things have the pain points have shifted so I'm gonna briefly kind of take that through the shift being a kid in and like I said I know I have a strong privilege from where and how I came to be and my parent my mom grew up in Aruba dad in Jamaica my dad from a farm my mom's parents owned casinos in Aruba and sat and exchanged uh, conversations with Toni Morrison in mm. my grandparents' home. Oh, I wow. have pictures. Yeah, oh, yeah. I get chills again. Yeah. So, like, that that's where I come from. Yeah. And my, my mom left. She went to school in the Netherlands because Aruba is a Dutch colony. So she went mm-hmm. to school for a little bit in the Netherlands, lived there, and then came to the States because the Netherlands and Holland, they'll pay for your tuition. That's a beautiful thing. Um, so she came to America and went to Howard. So growing up, my parents afforded me to live in upper uh, middle class, and which meant I was one of, in the beginning, I was the most often the only Black person in a lot of my classes. And everyone knew the Allens, the three brothers and me. Everyone knew Pam, Pam Young. Everyone knew that Pam would come and knock on the teacher's door if she heard anything. Cause she knew and now she's school board, right? She knows mm. what is painted on upon us. Mm. So growing and being middle-class as a, a child and being the only one with hair that looked like mine and looking at beauty standards, I would wake up and I would look at myself in the mirror and say, man, I wish my skin was lighter. Mm. Um, I would go see toys and hate the black ones or, or not see many of them at all. So at that inner that inner thought, then having a mom that was like, no, you're not watching any Disney movies. You don't watch Disney. I wasn't allowed to watch Snow White, Beauty and the Beast. None of that. I wasn't allowed because mm. she did not want me that to be my beauty. She didn't want that to be my only, I was allowed to watch Lion King, Mulan. I could watch uh, Pocahontas. I could watch those because they were they had ethnicity in them, culture, culture. I could watch those. So that was contrasted with my inner, my mom was doing a great job of feeding me with things to empower myself and tell me how beautiful I am. But then you would go to school and my mom would tell me, you know, Hey, they're going to teach you this about slavery, but really it's this. And mm-hmm. if your teacher says something, you can raise your hand and you tell them actually, my mom she was an educator and she's going to be a phenomenal educator. She would sit down and she's like, this is what happened. No, the Native Americans did not want to sit down and have Thanksgiving with them. And no, 
America stole land. Like that was my mm. upbringing, like gut. And so I would go to school, raise my hand, and I was the bad kid. I was the bad oh. black girl oh. because I was, and I did it though because I knew it was right. And I, the face, the look of teachers and being like, well, we have, you know, because I was smart also, I was very smart. And so there was that play of, I'm too smart for what a lot of the white teachers have seen and they don't like it. And they will sit me outside of my classrooms because they think I'm cheating when I get hundreds on my tests. Mm. And I remember I went home and I told my mom, I was like, oh, mom, I got sent outside the class. I could take a test here in my mind. Um, it's quiet. And I was like, what? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Excuse me? Ooh, she walked in. She was like, come on, we're going upstairs. And we live right across the street from the school. Oh, and, no, it's it's oh, funny. Yeah. I like visualize oh, yeah. that happening. I, oh, yeah. I knew that you were right across the street before you said. It. Oh well, yeah, yeah. We walked because my, my mom did those things. She's like, you're gonna have this, this, this American life. You're gonna live in this house, and you're no one's gonna look at you mm-hmm. any different than mm-hmm. she did all the things, but people still did. Yeah. yeah so yeah. she said that teacher straight. Teacher never ever looked at me. I didn't even know what my mom said, but I got an apology from that teacher, and mm-hmm. like that was. Pam cleaned up everything. <laughs> so that's that's growing up, watching mom, like I said, and watching like you stand up for what you for what you need. Then you transition to being older, and my mom starts telling me, "You can't just walk out the house. You don't get to wear sweatpants to school because when they look at you, you will be looked at as dumb. You'll be looked at as ghetto. You'll be looked at as whatever. No, you don't get to wear your hair in an afro." My mom, however, did not want me to, I straightened my hair. I had it chemically straightened. My mom did not want me to, mm. but there was so much pressure, uh, me looking around and I was like, mom, no, please, please, please let me straighten my hair. I straightened my hair. My mom did, like I said, she did a lot to help me combat that. It's just so, as a young woman, it's so ingrained and speaking about algorithms, you know, it's like, okay, I want to be comfortable. I play on a soccer team, but my mom said I can't go out in anything, but you know, clothes, no, no athletic wear. Don't wear your hoodie. Don't put your hood on your head. My three brothers, I was like, Oh, my brothers had a whole completely different talk. Like Aisha, at least you're a woman, you know, you're a girl, you're not threatening, but we would all sit down on a chair young, like no honor. I remember the names were Anwar Akeem and Ahmed. So my mom chose these names, these typically Muslim names because they had meaning, but anywhere we went all together, it was like, who are they? You know, mm-hmm. we're opening our, mo- our mouths and people, you know, oh, you don't sound like an Aisha. Mm-hmm. Um, picking how I would, how, la- how loudly I would laugh because women, Black women are loud. Uh, in my interviews to get going to grad school, I can't wear my hair out. I have to put it back and keep it straight. No loud, colorful nails because that's ghetto. Mm-hmm. Um, no big earrings that's ghetto and I don't believe any of this but this is just you know the mindset yep. of mm-hmm. it was told to us do I speak up someone just said something really racist someone just tried to touch my hair but I don't say anything because I don't want to be the angry black woman mm-hmm. um, all of these choices like how loud I'm going to be like I said am I going to talk oh okay I'm walking into the building now I don't get to talk like how I do with my friends there's no no ain't and 
culturally, that's 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 part of Black culture. It is what it is. It's deep, but you know, you have that. Well, everyone has a professional voice, but Black people it's called code switching. We have a code switch because you know you could go from a Hey, hi, my name's Aisha Allen. I am going to be your nurse anesthetist today. I'm going to be putting you to sleep. You're going to be safe. You're going to da da Then there's like, hey, girl, what's up? What's good? Um, let's go grab a drink. Missed you. Yes. You know, like complete code switch. Mm-hmm. Black people, all black people do it. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's So it's you have been brought, I have been brought up to not be my true authentic self, to step outside of my home and be completely different. Those algorithms still go on today because we have this generation of people that were around in the 50s and around in segregation areas, eras who are the heads of hospitals, who run police departments, who run banks and approve loans and all of these things. These people still exist. People who historically didn't want black advancement. So we're still within, when people say systematic, I don't think people understand, we're still very much within this system of racism. Mm-hmm. And so as a Black person now, you have to choose how you show up. Mm-hmm. And you have to choose, like, oh, is this person, let's see, they're about 60, 65. Mm, they could be racist. Mm-hmm. How am I going to approach this person? Oh, she's a, a single white female. Oh, she said she's from Tennessee, Kentucky. Hmm, let me talk to her a little bit more. Let me see how how she responds to me. Oh, she clutched her purse when I walked by her. Okay. Like you are looking, you're looking at everything. Yeah. Um, and we have temperature checks on every room that we walk into, every tone and every intonation, every every word that is it's constantly going just to be a brief. (laughs) Yeah. I'm curious. Thank you for sharing all of that. I think, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. all of us have some sort of, you know, read on a room, but not to that level of complexity. Right. And two, I'm going two different ways here. The first is I can just imagine what it's like, what it was like to be a child and, and have some level of confusion. Wait, you want me to speak up for myself, but also not be myself. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. And your, your mom, it sounds like did a beautiful job and keeping you safe. Yeah. Right. While also showing you how to be empowered. Yeah. Um, but that must've been extremely confusing and complex. And then I forgot where I was going with my other thought here. It'll come up again. Yeah. Um, it'll yeah. It'll come back. But yeah. Do you remember that being complex like that? Oh, now I remember, but go ahead and speak to me. Yeah. Um, I mean, it still is complex. I shouldn't say, do you remember? Yeah, yeah, but as a child, but I don't remember it being complex. No, I just remember that being life. It wasn't until now that we're having these discussions um, until COVID stopped the world. And all of a sudden George Floyd happened and people now wanted to listen and replay back history that, because we've been saying, we've been saying this stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, it wasn't until then where I'm like, damn, we do a lot just to be, yeah, just to be, and we don't get to be until we come back home. Mm-hmm. Uh, we don't get to laugh until you come back home. My mom didn't sleep until all of us were back in the home. Mm-hmm. Imagine being a, a mom of three boys in a very, very 
young call it a very white Republican affluent neighborhood where they were stopped for driving in a nice car. Mm. Like that was, it's anxiety. It's consistent, constant anxiety. And when you get the term weathering, as I talk about this term a lot in healthcare, imagine being consistently anxious, on guard, elevated blood pressure, nervous, constantly analyzing. You know, wonder Black people have hypertension. Mm-hmm. When they account, when they talk about healthcare disparities and they stratify for demographics, for age, for for money, they make all of that equal. And you look at the health of each individual. It could be a 23-year-old Black woman, make the same amount of money, same occupation, whatever. And the Black woman will have, typically more often than not, the health, they will have weathered based off of what the experiences of being a Black woman or Black person in society. Everywhere. It's not even just the United States. It's global. Mm-hmm. It's everywhere. Yeah. But yeah, it's, it's complex. And I, I didn't know it then, but I know now. Yeah. Mm. You are psychic, by the way, because you basically answered what my next question was. <laughs> I, and I like to do this too, is paint pictures and, and really get down into the nervous system. And I'm mm-hmm. curious to know if you can describe in your body what it feels like when you are outside of your home, your apartment, wherever you are. Mm-hmm. versus what it feels like in your body once you cross that threshold and lock the door. Right. And I can really speak to this because now being in Japan is completely different. My mind, and I knew this would happen. Mm-hmm. I knew that me coming to Japan was more than, oh, it's an experience of a lifetime. It was a way for me to be peacefully, easily. And that's the theme of my life. I have, I talk about themes all the time, but right now my theme is what is easeful, what is peaceful? Because previously, different part of my life living in the United States in this coast, technically South Virginia is technically South. Even though I lived in Northern Virginia, it's the South. My nervous system. And I didn't realize this until a friend of mine. I remember we were going to a nurse anesthesia function in DC and it was a night night function and it was a cocktail hour. And I, I brought my friend with me who's not in an anesthesia and she's an account. She's a CPA. Mm-hmm. And um, shout out to you, Morgan. And we walked in and I remember being like, oh my God, am I wearing my clothes, my hair? And I'm saying this out because this is my friend and I'm saying all this out loud. And I'm like, oh my God, I, you know, these are my innocent colleagues. And, you know, I didn't know, I, I, what am I wearing? Will they take me professional? And I'm saying all of this out loud. And she's like, Aisha, this is anxiety. Mm-hmm. But that I was just saying what was out loud, like saying out loud was in my brain consistently all the time because you're always analyzing these things. And my nervous system, like that was the first time where I like realized what my nervous system does because it's not just thinking. It is like brain analyzing your entire being, analyzing what is going on. I think a lot of people have social anxiety, but there's a difference when you can't change you can't change the color of your skin. Mm-hmm. And when you open your mouth and you watch people, you see them tilt their head and look confused. Or when I say I went to Duke University, people are like, oh, you did. 
and act surprised. Mm. All those are microaggressions. All those are little insults that consistently boom, 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 boom. And you have your whole life taken them. Being here in Japan has showed me how on edge I was all the time. And we as Black people are not often changing now. We're not taught to go to therapy. It was you deal with it and you shut the F up and you got to go to work. You were taught like, oh, you have a good job. You're, you know, people call you Dr. Allen. What are you complaining about? Mm. Mm -hmm. So that nervous system is wound up. And what are the outlets? You know, you're, you're constantly trying to achieve more so you can be seen as equal. So what can I do next? What is this? And, oh, I want this car because if I drive up in this car, People are going to look at me a certain way. They're going to be, we're going to be looked at as a, the poor black family. And all these things that are constantly going wind up your nervous system. And that is your constant state, unless you realize what matrix you're living in, unless you seek out different ways to reduce that uh, anxious wind up. Um, but that's where a lot of people sit and it's not everyone, but right now you can, I think a lot of people are seeing and feeling that black people are pretty fed up with that way of being. Mm -hmm. And you felt that uproar. We were like, what, what was it? The uproar with George Floyd was like, yeah, this is enough. Mm -hmm. That is what black people said. We've been telling you, we've been screaming. We have been telling you. And we are acting done yeah. because it was videotaped. And so that was, though that time was my realization, like, wow, collectively, myself and obviously myself included, we are wound tight. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Tight, tight. Wow. Mm, thank you. Absolutely. Thank you. Absolutely. Uh, my heart. Yeah, it's it's heavy. Thank you for holding space and like feeling and sitting with that with me because it's heavy. It is heavy. It is. How how do we do better? How do mm -hmm. I how do I as Angelica do better? But how do I as Ezra Ezra's mom, yeah. a future white male, yeah. teach him to do better. Yeah. Thank you for asking. A lot of people are kind of nervous about asking right now. So I'm glad you asked because I have the space and I have the, I have been able to take my space and give mm -hmm. when I want to. First thing I would say, and I think you actively do it because this is an example of it, is educating yourself. And not just educating yourself on history, um, but talk to people, get to know those around you, do something outside of yourself, outside of your norm. Um, at work, we're all in situations where there's someone, and this is a very, very, um, this is Black Family 101. This is why a lot of people feel very, very at home with Black people. They feel very, very comfortable with Black people, because Black people know what it's like to be outcasted or not in um, or looked at a certain way. Black people are very welcoming and very 
open if you are willing to be uncomfortable. Um, it's just a joke. Like black people are very uncomfortable all the time in all spaces. And the moment you make a white person uncomfortable is the end of the world. End of the world. <laughs> I can so see that. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And so that's maybe that's something. It's like paying attention to those things that make you uncomfortable. And especially when we're talking about race and what can you do, figuring out why you're uncomfortable. Why are you uncomfortable with someone sharing their lived experience? Why does that make you uncomfortable? Because mm. um, that's like people, why is this a hot topic? Why Why do, I, I, I actually don't even know. Like, why when I tell someone, hey, what you just said was offensive. No, actually, you can't touch my hair. It's on my body. Oh, why? It looks so different. I've never seen it before. I understand that. But you don't get to touch me. Like, when you do that, this happened recently at work. Oh, wow. Why, when that boundary is set, do now, and we this is something we talk about all the time, and I, don't, I haven't named it, and I'm just going to be really frank about it. It happens a lot with white women. Um, when you set a boundary, all of a sudden it's either waterworks and people feel it's a weaponization of tears mm. um or now they can't even look at you in your eye and when i tell you mm. i can see and sense everything that changes mm. I, ha- I recently had to set a boundary with a coworker, and they wanted me to be working in an office where i knew i was going to feel uncomfortable and in the military i'm in the military for those who don't know um these conversations are really new these military is a whole other version of America. <laughs> and so for me, a new captain to be like, actually, I don't want to sit in that office because I'm going to be t- uncomfortable with two white women. And I don't do that. I was like, what? And I knew it was coming, but I knew that I also am at a place where I'm going to say it. And they didn't know what to say. So I left that office and for the rest of the day, couldn't look at me in my eyes couldn't anything and not even just for that day a week and so I'm saying that to say don't check yourself when that comes about because what you're putting off is very obvious Mm -hmm. very obvious and understand like why why can't you have that critique and that turn a lot of people thrown around is white fragility and a lot of people don't even know what that means Mm -hmm. and that's why I hate using the word because people get they mess up with it but the fragility piece is, oh my God, you told me something that's uncomfortable. I don't know what it's like to be uncomfortable. The mm. world is made for me to be comfortable. Mm. So the moment I feel it, the world is over. <laughs> wow. And so people hear the term now, Karen. We've been saying Karen, Heather, Katie for years. Mm. No shade to anyone who that's their name. It's just what happened, okay? Um, but in conversations, you go home, you're like, yeah, man, I had a Karen today. Or I had a, we had a Cheryl and like, you already know what that means. Or there's this silent look where the black people in their life, were they? And mm. like, well, duh. that's our lived experience of battling. And so it's being aware. And I don't ever say that one group is more or less harmful to black progression and progression of minorities, but blacks, we're talking about black people. 
But there is a very inherent danger, excuse me, with white women and how they can, like I said, weaponize their experience in tears to gain sympathy and to project that they are unsafe um, to where previously people died because of it. Emmett Till, people want to look that up, E-M-M-I-T, Till. Um, a case where some, a, a young, young man, um, a woman was harassed, a white woman was harassed. And I, I don't even actually specifically know the story because my mom didn't want me to read all that stuff. Um, and I, I kind of still stay away from constantly reading black death and black pain. Um, but basically a young 13 year old boy was murdered because a white woman said that he, and he did not assaulted her. And so that story is still very prevalent, that ability that white women have to weaponize their experiences, to harm someone because they know when they call the police, they know when they call the police, they're not going to be the villain ever. It's this black kid, this black person with a hoodie, this person who is, and if you ask, you ask people, and I ask it sometimes too, would you want to be a black person in America? And you see people have to filter through, right? And they're like, they know their answer is hell no. Mm-hmm. But then they realize what that answer means. It's, that it's admitting mm-hmm. that there's a difference. Yeah. It's admitting that there's a problem. Mm-hmm. And so it's just acceptance. Teach Ezra to think deeply about the experiences of others and what other people could be feeling. And not in an anxious way, but uh, okay, if I was in a situation, this person's being singled out, that doesn't really feel good, regardless of if they're black, brown, whatever. Um, this person looks anxious. How can I help them? Um, it's, it's that, that those types of things can make a difference. And being just aware, a little bit more aware that there are different experiences happening around you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and yeah. E- even even past what, what we see. Yes. And that's why I wanted to know what, what's a day in a life. Mm-hmm. What am I not seeing? I learned recently on a podcast, I've been, you know, wealth consciousness, financial, yes. financial feminist is, is the one uh-huh. I'm watching or listening to. And she had the budget Nista. I think her name's Tiffany mm-hmm. on, mm-hmm. and she explained how she had to have her house. Um, yes. Yeah. Uh, what's it by called? different what's person um what's the word i almost i wanted to use that but i couldn't think of the oh, word um inspection yeah not inspection no. um when they, they they tell you how much it's worth yes shoot why am i <laughs> blanking on this how many degrees does it take <laughs> right <laughs> but anyway she she has to have it um worth <laughs> right assessed assessed yes <laughs> we got it <laughs> And, and she, her and her husband, her, her and her husband were both black and they yep. had to, she, she said, I think it was in the midst of COVID and she mm-hmm. was like, shit, I, I have to be at the house. Cause a, 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 I think she had a, a plan with her friend who was white to switch whenever they had to, yes. to have her yes. stuff assessed. And yep. she's like, I can't, I can't have her here. It's, it's the midst of COVID. 
And so she went through the process of taking down all of their family photos, anything related mm-hmm. to black culture, all of that. And I, 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 that's not something I ever have to worry about and something I never even thought was a problem. And sure enough, you know, the, the assessor came back marking her, I guess she had said uh, to make a long story short, I guess she completely redid the house. And he even noted, this looks great. It's so beautiful. I can tell you did a lot of work. And then he gave her a grade of um, wear and tear. Yeah. Yeah. And it was like a hundred thousand dollars less or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. But that's very much the norm. And I don't think people understand the history behind, like it is a deep rooted history. And uh, I think um, I want to speak to this is that a lot of people don't, uh, white people don't understand that we are not looking for white people to take on the burden and blame for what your ancestors did. It's acknowledgement. Mm-hmm. Yes. It's acknowledging that there is a difference because of your ancestors mm-hmm. and that you benefit from a system put in place by your ancestors and that we want you to help us make it equitable, yeah. actually equitable to where, you know, my home isn't being devalued or I'm not, my name on a resume isn't getting kicked back. And I've done this before. I've done this mm-hmm. with uh, a home application. I was sending it in, it was open and it had, and I knew I moved quite quickly and my response, I was not being responded to. So I changed the name. Actually, I had my partner at the time a white woman I said will you, you apply you go apply for this mm-hmm. same everything just name switch called like that and like, mm-hmm. so when we say these things out loud these are lived experience and this is what people what I can't stand I'm not gonna feed every black person but I probably could is when we talk about this and people say why is it always about race <laughs> That is like such, <laughs> it may, it enrages me actually. I mean, why is it about race? Because it is, because you made it. <laughs> Every, at my whole life is because of it. Yes. And by mine yes. and yours. Yes, yes. But, and, but that's why it feels such, like such a slap in the face. Yeah. Like you think we want it to be about race? We would love to be able to walk outside of our home and not have to think about it. Trust me. Mm-hmm. Or, oh, you're pulling the, the race card. Yeah. People couldn't see me. I rolled my eyes. But yeah. <laughs> uh okay. So I'm gonna I'm gonna get super vulnerable here. Yeah. Super uncomfortable because I, I wanna know what and I don't know how I'm asking this. So let it flow. I guess I, yeah, I guess I'll, I'll ask you your opinion and where I where I went wrong if I went, I know I went wrong. I know you're gonna tell me that. Um, but how I could have done things differently, what the proper response could have been. Okay. So I was sexually assaulted in college by my black boyfriend at the time. He was doing wonderful things in the community, outreaching there, there, you know, he, he was working with high school youth who were disparaged and he went on to become a college professor and doing a lot of the same things. I chose one, I didn't, you know, there was that, those, those moments where I didn't realize what had happened, but when I finally did, and he told me, no, you, you, you're making that up. I really weighed, like, what do I do? I don't want to be that white woman. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. And he's also having so much 
he's doing so many good things and empowering the youth. Like, so I didn't, you know, and, and I've come to terms and I've, I've, you know, grown through it. I've certainly had my, my counseling and all of that, but I, I'm just curious from your perspective, I know you're going to say you stand up for you, you don't, <laughs> but yeah. what's, yeah. what's your, what's your take and, and how do we have that? Cause I feel like that's part of the, this, the game. It's almost like a, another layer of, I don't want to yep. call it a game cause it's not fun at all. Right. No, I don't, it's the matrix. So yeah, I get it. Yeah. Um, I think everything is matrix, by the way. I know a lot of people have their mm-hmm. one definition of the matrix, but I believe that a lot of the societal is matrix. Yes. Um, so I can't say that you did something wrong. Um, one, and I'm, I think this might be actually, we draw on experiences. So I have very similar experience mm-hmm. with you where, did we do it? I don't say who. Um, a family member uh, sexually assaulted me, and being the child that I was, a very astute, very in touch child, I didn't tell my mom, mm-hmm. who was also sexually assaulted. I didn't tell anyone because I didn't want to ruin the family. Mm-hmm. I didn't want to get in trouble. Mm-hmm. But where does that take me in college? Sexually assaulted by a black boyfriend thrown out of a car and had a history of doing this, but because I didn't want to put a black man in jail because he would have went to jail for what he did. Mm-hmm. I didn't say anything. Mm-hmm. I didn't tell my family because one, he probably would end up dead. Yeah. Just kidding guys. Yeah, no, I know. <laughs> but <laughs> it wouldn't have been pretty. So I can say that I understand the decision making. Mm-hmm. And now looking back on it, you're right. I'd say, Stand up for yourself, regardless of race. That does not excuse you mm-hmm. from abusing someone. Just because your life is a little bit challenging, and I'm saying little, I don't mean to demean it. Just because your life has challenge in it, and just because you are a black man that faces these challenge, or black person, or Hispanic person, or Asian person, does not mean that you get to abuse others. Mm-hmm. I don't think, like I said, I don't think you did anything wrong. I think there's just that extra level of consciousness that you had that you chose to embody rather than embody what it would feel like to say you were wrong and you're going to face the consequences. And I think that's a deeper level of like, okay, what you came down here to do and what lessons you came here to learn. Mm -hmm. Um, It's kind of like being a kid and your parents say, choose your battles. And mm. it's like, that was a battle that you said you weren't going to choose. Mm-hmm. And I don't think it, obviously you go therapy and you wonder why, like, did I not think I was worthy and you go through all these things. And um, for me, what has helped me personally is no, I was worthy. It's just a bad, I chose a, that yeah. learn a lesson from that. I chose a different path. And um I chose not to put myself through what that could have been to trial, to court, to Mm -hmm. seeing him again. There's always these layers. And so I said, I can't say that you did it wrong. Mm -hmm. Um, I think you did it how you were supposed to. Thank you. That level of permission is just beautiful. Yeah. It's hard. 
sucks. Yeah, it did. Yeah, yeah. What an experience to go through and like the level of unlearning, learning, and unraveling that it led you to. This is not a whole thank your abuser type thing. Well, um, but I just this is how I see life. Like, what did you get from it, yeah. regardless of what it is? Mm-hmm. Mm, I love that. Thank yeah. you. Absolutely. I'm, I'm loving experience. this discussion with you. <laughs> yeah. <good>. <laughs> <laughs> I'm curious what your vision, what your highest vision for yourself is and also for this planet. Mm. Highest and best version of myself. Um, that's what I say to myself. My partner and I say, like, what's the highest and best version of yourself? Highest and best use of your time. Um, something we repeat all the time to each other. Um, it is, I'm living it. I'm doing it. I am healing past trauma. I am exploring passions. I am connecting with the earth and I am learning things and unlearning things. And I am building community and bringing other people along. So uh, I know a lot of people talk about like, Ooh, what is that? And to others, a lot to many people, it's a less lofty um, idea. And I think very highly of myself and I think everyone should think highly of themselves. Um, but I do everything that I say I'm going to do. And at the same time, I learn what could have been a better choice. And I am not perfect by any means, but I think what is perfect about me is that I'm willing to fail and I don't even believe in failure. I'm willing to get things uh, wrong. I'm willing to go through challenges. And so for me to get to that highest version of myself, which is to be free, to spend it lovingly and loving on people, to spend it educating, to travel and see other cultures, um, and to have children, um, and to teach people what it means to connect with themselves. That's the highest version of myself. And I think I'm on the path to that, to that ultimate expression, which would mean me disconnecting from this hospital matrix, which is what I'm, I'm actively doing with people. That highest form is just me sharing love in all the different arms that I can. Mm-hmm. And whether it's, let me teach and show what it means to love yourself, to what it means to love your future so much that you plan what you're doing, um, what it means to love your neighbor and love your family enough to set boundaries, set boundaries with friends. It's all love for me. That's my ultimate highest and best version um, of what I see from my life. Yeah. I'm so in love questions. with that. Oh, <laughs> oh it's, that. I forgot what my second question was. Yeah, That was for, for your life, I guess for the world, but I think you've answered that yeah. because you would be a living, breathing embodiment of what you yeah. wanted for the world. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I got this, uh, I heard this question. So I always ask the questions yeah, I hear. Please. Please. You had mentioned at the beginning of our conversation, how, when you were younger, when you were little, you would go past the mirror and wish that your skin was lighter. Mm-hmm. Now, when you go past the mirror, what are the conversations you're having with yourself? Yeah. Um, your 
your beaters got chills. Um, I repeat and I hear the things that my mom would tell me, which is, you know, your skin is beautiful. Your skin is chocolate. You look perfect. Obviously we all have these, like, you know, I hit 30 and my body changed. I used to, I was a college athlete. So, you know, sometimes I look at myself naked and I'm like, well, that looks different, but that's the, that's the gist of it. Like it looks different. And I'm so thankful to have a partner that validates and loves the different versions of a female body that changes mm-hmm. and because he's so in tune with just me and my body um, on a very deep cellular level just kind of interesting but I look at myself and I'm proud and I encourage myself to continue doing what I'm doing and I don't know if you believe in like numbers and well, some people call them angel numbers um, but I see them all day mm-hmm. every day and it started in college where I would see 11-11 all the time. And I was like, this is just starting to get weird. It's starting to get really, really weird. <laughs> and now it's transformed to like, oh, of course, it's 18-18 or 21-21 in military time. And then when I look at this oven whose time I never changed, that says 3-3-3. And like, <laughs> that's just where <laughs> the anesthesia machine the title volume or the yeah. amount of breath someone takes it says four four four. Yeah, I know. You know, like that's just my life. And those things also being mirror encourage me to like, okay, that's what you're gonna do. You keep doing that. You're on that path. Like that is it's a constant encouragement and love when I look in the mirror. Um, I give myself. That's beautiful. Um, there's this Instagram account I follow and you're going to get mad at me because you're, you're like, no. stick to the algorithm. <laughs> we'll help you out. And it's, it's called live from snack time. And it's, all, it's all things that kids say. <laughs> I love that. No, I love that. And there was, cause I hear you in my head, by the way, when I follow yeah. a dog page and you're like, stop following the cat page. It's fucking up your algorithm. <laughs> But anyways, so there's, there was this quote from this three-year-old girl and she was going past the mirror and she said, oh, hey, it's my best friend. Oh, I I, I thought I saw that yesterday. I'll have to share it with you. Um, (laughs) That's good. So I, I would love for, for though, this has been, first of all, I can't thank you enough for having these conversations with me. I mean, this, this recording alone gives you an idea of just how multifaceted you are. And, <laughs> and it's just amazing. Wow. Um, if, if somebody wants to plug into you and be in yeah. this energy vortex of yours, clearly, <laughs> yes. where can they find you? And, and what, I guess, do you have any offers going on now that were in the yeah. that you want to chit chat about? Yeah. Vortex. I like that. If anyone's ever been to Sedona, I suggest you go. Cause that's, freaking crazy there i broke a sound bowl in sedona pretty much by like looking at it but whatever so there's a lot of a few places you can plug in with me i would say if you want to plug into my vortex <laughs> of me and what i am that is on instagram aisha a-i-s-h-a underscore c-r-n-a for certified registered nurse anesthetist i also have a youtube channel search aisha allen um, or aisha crna that all it all comes up i hate this but like if you google me <laughs> like so <laughs> everything will come up 
right now I am in the process and I have a, a network on Mighty Networks for nurses who are interested in pursuing passions beyond the bedside. Um, but it has actually kind of branched out to be more than nurses. So if you are in a place where you want to kind of empower yourself to step outside of what your norm is and what your daily everything is, your, what you've known and be around like-minded people growing and pursuing real estate or businesses, online businesses, social media, finances, all of that. The network is huge. It's called Nurse Multipotentialites. Doing a lot of work in there. Um, like I said, you could just Google me and my website. It'll take you to that. And then right now, what I'm going to be working on is an Airbnb course, because I think uh, for healthcare providers, because I feel like we are some of the most caring people that know innately how to host and how to take care of people staying in their homes. And so I want to speak to those gifts that we have um, in an Airbnb course um, to help people make money outside of hosp- the hospital and step away from the, oh, I'll pick up an extra shift type of mentality to you go home and you get a, a notification on your phone that says you made X amount of dollars today. Like that's where I want to shift people. Um, that's coming up. And then a mastermind group, maybe I'll call it the Vortex or like that, where I'm working on projects with people, whatever it is, anesthesia school or starting a business from the ground up, or if you just want to work on personal development. Um, I think I actually, I know I'm finally at the place where I'm like, I can help you. I can oh. help you do that. <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh. You totally could. You totally can. Yeah. So yeah. yeah. Awesome. So like an Instagram, I think that's the easiest way. I answer every single DM pretty much. I've gotten better. I answer DMs that are not like just emojis and like, yeah. Or hi, how are you? Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. For some depth, if please. Have, <laughs> yeah. yeah. If you have some depth, I'll answer it. <laughs> yes. Beautiful. Awesome. Aisha, I can't thank you enough for sitting down with me and having this heart to heart. I just enjoyed getting to know you more, getting to know your story and, and learning from you. Thank you. Thank you for holding space for putting yourself out there. I hope to chat with you again, podcast or not. Um, I thank you so much for having me. Golden.